That was so good. Thanks again for being here tonight. I um, want to take some time just to talk from my heart to your heart tonight. And then, like I said, we're going to take some time to pray together. Uh, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon before? Uh, if you've been there, you know how difficult it is to, to tell somebody who hasn't been there how awesome it is. If you, you know, it's, it's, you can tell, you know, use words. You can show the pictures you've taken with your iPhone or whatever. But it's really hard to describe what it's like unless you've been there. Um, back, I don't know, six, seven years ago, Laura and I had uh, spent some time in the Marshall Islands. I did a chaplaincy for the military there. But anyhow, it's hard to describe the beauty of the diving in the Marshall Islands unless you've been there. And I can tell people, man, the water's warm and it's just incredible and all this fish and the coral reefs. It's like, and they kind of nod. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm happy for you. I, I want to I tell you a few things tonight that uh, I'm hoping and praying that you'll be able to grasp the depth of it and that you'll hear my heart. But it, I feel a little inadequate because I'm not sure I'll be able to do a good job of you know, what's happened. First thing is a dream I had. Not last night, but uh, uh, yesterday. I got, woke up at 2.06 in the morning. And uh, I get up once a night because I'm an old guy. Let's just say, leave it at that. But I, I got up at uh, 2.06 and I uh, looked at the clock, went to the bathroom, came back, got in bed. And then it was one of those times where the Holy Spirit just said, come be with me. And I want to spend some time with you. <laughs> okay. It's 2.06, Lord. You know what time it is, right? Uh, but I, I uh, had a couple hours. The last time, in fact, I looked at the clock just as I got back in bed was, was 4.08. So I thought, well, I'll try and get some sleep. Um, but I did fall back to sleep, and I had a dream. Now, you know me, I, um, I, 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 everybody dreams, and from time to time, I feel like the Lord gives me something, and this was one of those times where it was undeniably from God. I, 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 it's hard to describe. against the Grand Canyon when you haven't seen it. It's hard to describe what I experienced without you really understanding the depth of it for me. But when I know it's a dream from the Lord, it's like, it's, it's like I'm, I'm there. It's, like, it's more like a vision or that I'm physically, and I'm not talking about being transported in the spirit or like Paul's thing, the, you know, the whatever heaven, you know, heaven. I, I'm just saying, I, it's like I'm there. Every detail I can smell, I can feel, I can see, I can taste, and it's all very vivid for me. In fact, there are a couple of guys in it that if they were here tonight, I'd say, man, I saw you in my dream. That's how detailed it was for me. So I have this dream, and I'm in a room. I don't really know where I'm at, but I look out a window, and it's hillside, like the hills around our valley, and I look out in the distance, and I saw a big, big um, plume of smoke, and I knew there was a fire. I just, I've been around enough of them. It's like, yeah, that's, that's a fire. And uh, so I stepped outside, and almost like faster than I could imagine, the, the, the fire was coming down. There was the hillsides around me, and there was fire spreading quickly. And there were two different planes. One, a big old tanker came in, and he had some retardant and tried to douse the flames, made absolutely no impact at all. And I watched this big old plane come and dump his retardant, fly off. It's like, nope, didn't even, didn't, not at all. Uh, then I saw about eight or nine uh, firemen coming down a trail, coming down a hill, right to the parking lot where I was standing. Now I'm out, outside. And these guys are, I, I've been around firemen. I, you know, I've lived in California. I've, I've seen bushfires. You know, I've seen these guys. These guys are happy. They're not dirty. They're not tired. They're not grumpy. They're like, well, this is really great. And I'm thinking, this is just kind of strange. These guys seem to be getting, you know, uh, in a good spot. They're excited about this. And I see them, and then another little plane comes by and tries to dump water on it. That didn't work either. Just didn't do a thing. And then I got my iPhone. I pulled my iPhone out. You know, if you know me, <laughs> you know I like to take a lot of pictures. And so I'm taking pictures of all of this. Uh, it's going around, fire around. And I, the, the other thing is, I'm not the least bit afraid at all. Right at that moment, the fire is just surrounding all the hills. I mean, normally, if you were that close to it, it's like, get in your car and get out of there as quickly as possible. 
Uh, but I'm not. I'm not terrified. I, I, don't, I want to be there. Well, I woke up at that moment, and uh, it was 5.47, if you, in case you want to know. And, I, <clears throat> and instantly, it's one of those times where just boom, boom, boom. I knew immediately what uh, that, I knew it was from the Lord, and I knew what it meant. Uh, the smoke that I saw in the distance was the way I have felt for a while, like there's something coming. That there's something, it's there, it's beginning, it's already started. It's not starting with me, it's not starting with us, but it's there, it's coming, and it's a fire. And when it rapidly began to spread, it was, I realized that this is the presence of the Holy Spirit. God's moving, and he's beginning to do incredible work, and it was everywhere. And, and the big tanker that came through with a fire retardant, I knew was the enemy, was Satan trying to douse the work of God. Uh, the guys coming down were people, workers in the kingdom, not pastors, people. Workers in the kingdom that were excited and thrilled about what was taking place. And the little plane, which was odd, but I just knew it. It's just one of the things you just know in your knower. I knew the little plane represented Christians, church people, trying to put out the Holy Spirit, put out the fire. Like, no, this is the, we don't want that. And so the big plane was the enemy. The little plane was the church, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, the people rep, you know, coming down, the farmer with the, with the workers. And, the, and, that, I, and again, I even knew I had my camera out. Because, it, it, and, I th- and in fact, I thought for a second, you know how it kind of goes quickly in your mind. What, what, why am I taking pictures of this? And, and, and in that moment, the Lord said, because you're not going to ever want to forget this. You go, yeah, I'm going to be pretty emotional tonight. I really need a box of Kleenex. Uh, so anyhow, I'm going to be, uh, I'm taking pictures because I'm seeing all of what is going on. Thank you. Come bring them up. Uh, and I, and I want to capture it. I don't ever want to move it. One of the things you need to know about me, and some of you have heard me say this before, you are my best friend, um, <clears throat> is that um, for a long, long, long time, I have prayed. I want to be a part of something great. I want to be a part of one more movement of God. I'm an old guy, and I was part of the Jesus People movement. Some of you are like, what? Uh, trust me, it was, you heard a guy named Chuck Smith in Calvary Chapel. I was there. I've been, I was in the tent. I've seen the guys with long hairs and the, wearing shorts, and we call them thongs back then. You can't call them that anymore. But they're flip-flops into church. And, the, and Chuck Smith said, yeah, come. Just come be a part of this. And it was a movement of God that changed hundreds, millions of lives. Then I moved to this little place called Faith Center which wasn't so little, and, and Jim was in high school, and I was just a couple years older than him. I was a teenager then when I met you. And I was a youth pastor at this church in Eugene, Oregon, where God was just doing this amazing thing. It is hard to describe. Again, you, I can, look at the Grand Canyon. Ah, it, it, was, it was amazing. Am I right? Just what God did, and there's no explanation. We met in a high school, an elementary school auditorium, gymnasium that had the sides knocked out. Didn't have air conditioning. It was just, it, there was nothing about it that was, like, this is the coolest place on the planet. But God was doing something powerful and mighty, and it was so much fun to be a part of it. Then um, I got to be a part of a little thing called Church on the Way with Jack Hayford in the early days. And, again, a movement of God in that time where it was just in the, in the San Fernando Valley. And, again, just powerful move. Then for nine years, most of you know, if you heard my story, I was in the vineyard. And, honestly, the first five or six years was, was changed my life. Literally changed my life. One of the most powerful experiences I've had in the church with those early years in the vineyard. Went a little sideways later on, and, and uh, you know, that's another story. But the early years of my experience in the vineyard was some of the most radical and powerful and life-changing moments. These guys know, she knows, they were there. They were, they were part of that. And again, I got to be a part of a great movement of God. 
You got hundreds and hundreds of worship songs back in the 80s and the 90s came out of the vineyard. They were the hill song back then. They, they, they were. They were the place where, you know, the, the, uh, where all this great music and worship, and, and, and it was changing. It, John Wimber's gone to be with Jesus quite a few years ago now. But if Jesus doesn't come back decades from now, they're going to look back at that season and where John, especially in the UK, God used that man in the United Kingdom in ways that are profound and still, still impacting uh, that, that, uh, th- th- those, those countries. So anyhow, all of that to say, I have prayed for a long time, about 20 plus years now. It's my most frequent prayer, my most frequent prayer. Jesus, I know how my life has changed. We're gonna have a long night. And I know how millions and millions and millions of lives were changed. And I want that. I wanna be a part of that at least one more time before I go to be with you. And that's what, listen, it's what we need. It's what we need. Turn on the television. Turn, turn on the news. Look around where you work, the cubicles, and the students where you, you go to school. I mean, you know, I can tell you, it was pretty messed up in the 60s too. <laughs> Believe me, it was pretty messed up. Uh, political unrest, drug use. It wasn't pornography back then, but you know, free love, which they found out wasn't free. You know, I, I, it, it, so I, I, I've been in dark places before and I've seen God just come and transform Christians, transform the church and transform a culture. And I believe with all my heart we need that. I so desperately want that. I need, we need that now more than ever. And I think, again, I can see the fire. I see the smoke. I truly believe it's coming. So how do we prepare ourselves? What do we do? Well, I want to read to you uh, something about uh, two years ago. I stood in this room and I shared, uh, it was one of our night of worships from Re- Re- Revelation chapter 2. And I told you then, I believe it's something God was speaking to our church. And uh, from time to time, the Lord cycles me back to Revelation chapter 2 again. Two months ago, about two and a half months ago, I had another one of those early morning encounters with the Holy Spirit and uh, drawn again to Revelation chapter 2. And I was reading it early in the morning, and God spoke to me. And I'm going to share some things. Just spoke to my heart. But let me read it to you. If you got your Bible, you can go up. I'm going to read from the Passion Version, which has kind of become my favorite uh, devotional uh, Bible right now. But, so if you want to follow along, you can try to. Otherwise, just listen. It's Revelation chapter 2. If you know the book of Revelation, uh, it's a lot of symbolism, a lot of prophetic words. Uh, they're basically, most theologians believe that, especially the, the letters, the, the messages to the seven churches, that there are four different types of application there. There's the um, local cities application to the church in you know, Philadelphia or, or Ephesus. There's the global application to all Christians throughout all time. So that's another part of the application. There's a prophetic application. I'm not going to get into all this tonight, but some see that the seven letters represent seven phases of the church throughout history. That's possible as well. And then, of course, there's the personal, personal application to each of us. So when we read these seven letters to the seven churches, and I'm not going to read them all tonight, but when you read them, you, you need to understand there's basically four different applications that can be made, some specific to a time and a place and others to us. And so when, we, when I read the book of Revelation, I'm saying, Jesus, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to the church? What are you saying to our, our time, our, our season? Revelation chapter 2 is the, the letter to the church in Ephesus. <clears throat> write the following letter, uh, message to the congregation in Ephesus. For these are the words of the one who holds the seven stars firmly in his right hand. 
uh, the seven stars are the seven leaders. So I, I love the fact that Jesus holds the leaders of the church in his right hand. Who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Seven golden lampstands, again, most believe represent the seven churches that are being addressed here. Verse 2 of Revelation 2. I know all that you've done for me. You've worked hard and persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles and proved that they are not, for they were imposters. I also know how you've bravely endured trials and persecutions because of my name, yet you've not become discouraged. When I read that a couple months ago, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, Kurt, I, I know you've worked hard, and I'm, and I'm glad that you've stayed the course and you haven't been discouraged, and I, and I, and I know that there's been tough times and you've, you've stayed the course. I think for us, the Lord would say the same thing. I think, yeah, you guys have done a great job in so many ways. Verse four, there's a shift, <laughs> and you, you gotta get the butt here. But I have this against you. You've abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. The King James or the other translations, you've, you've left your first love. I love the way the Passion Version says it, though. You've abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you've fallen. Repent to do the works of love you did at first. And he goes on. He says, listen carefully to what the Spirit is saying to, now to all the churches. To the church in Ephesus, <clears throat> the word that they received was, you've worked hard, you've persevered, you've done some really good things. But here's where you've gone off course. You've abandoned, you've left, you've lost your passionate first love for me. And Jesus warns them, repent, repent, have a change. It, uh, the word there in the Greek, it means really to have a change of mind so that you, uh, change, so that you, you have the mind of another. Is, it would be literally metalonia. But it's, it means to, be, to have the mind of Christ. Change the way you think. Have a different mind. Have the mind of another, meaning have the mind of Christ. You need to repent, change the way you think, and then, I love this, and do the things you did at first. There's some argument in the church at large about, you know, well, what's the church in America? What, what are we most like now? Some would say that the seventh church in Revelation 3, the letter to uh, Laodicea, uh, where Jesus, in fact, it's the only church that he doesn't say anything nice about him at all. It's, there's no kind of... Uh, uh, Good words to him, just a lot of challenge. And they're the ones that are lukewarm, and he wants to puke them out of his mouth. So and some think that's where the church is at now. I don't, I'm not going to argue with anybody. Here's what I'm saying. When I read this, I'm asking Jesus, what do you want to say to me? And what, what, what are you saying to us, East Point? And I happen to believe, I'll go out on a limb, that I truly believe that this is where the American church is today. We have done a lot of good. The church in America throughout the last two, 300 years has literally impacted the world. And there's been a lot of great things that have come out of the church, the church even today in America. But the truth is, I believe that too many have landed exactly where the church at Ephesus is. We've forgotten. We've, we, we no longer have the passionate love that we once had for Jesus. We're good at doing church. We're good at doing the programs and the systems and the ministries. We're good at you know, doing the, the thing on Sunday. We're good at, at uh, even being missional and helping and reaching out to people. But there's, there's a, a first passionate love that, that, that over. Remember when you first fell in love? Even if you're not married, I'm sure you had somebody you fell in love with once upon a time. Now, hopefully I'm not bringing up a bad memory for anybody tonight. But man, when I first fell in love with Laura, I stalked that woman. I found out her schedule. I knew where she was. She was a senior a year ahead of me, and I would track her. I knew where her locker was. I knew where her classes were, and I just made sure, hey, well, hi, nice to see you again. It's funny to meet you here. 
And, and I, I really, and I went after her because I was passionately, radically in love with that woman. And Jesus says to the church, remember the things you did at first. Remember that passionate, all-consuming. And I want to take a moment, and I want you just, don't say anything out loud, but I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you have a passionate, burning love for Jesus like you maybe once did? Remember when you couldn't wait to get to church? Do you show up late now? And I'm not looking at anybody. Remember when worship, it just, you were singing all the time. You can't carry a tune in a bucket. You know, children cry when you sing around them. But you just, everywhere, all the time. You know, it's like you just sang all, you worship the Lord. Remember when you couldn't get enough of the Bible? You just, you read it, you just consumed it. And you just, you read the book of Revelation, you go, man, this is the weirdest, coolest stuff in the world. And you just consume the word. Remember when you couldn't get enough of hanging out with people who love Jesus? When it wasn't twisting an arm to get you to be in a rooted group or a small group. Man, you just, I, I just want, I, I want to, I've got, I got a whole new family. I got brothers and sisters I didn't even know. And it was that passion. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The passion you had, that passionate desire, love that just rocked your world. You know, I know this sounds crazy, but once upon a time, people went to church three or four times a week. Once upon a time, people would show up just to have all-night prayer meetings. Once upon a time, people would just, you know, you do a worship night, and people would show up, and it'd go on for hours. And they just get lost in the presence of Jesus. Now, let me say something else real important. I don't even know where I'm at on my notes, so I'll get there sooner. <laughs> uh, let me be clear that you hear this, I, and I should have said this earlier. I don't want to go back to anything. I'm not looking to go back to the Acts 2 church. That was great 2,000 years ago, and there's some things we can learn from them, but I'm not trying to go back to that. I'm not, I don't want to go back to the Jesus people movement. I don't want to go back to Faith Center or Church in the Way or the Vineyard. I don't want to go back to anything but I believe there's a fire coming and I want to be ready for it. And whatever Jesus wants to do, I want to be the church. I want to be the pastor. I want you to be the, the follower, the passionate lover. Jesus says, okay, Jesus, whatever you want, I'm all in. Whatever you want. But the challenge is, first, we have to remember. And I, tonight, I've been praying hard all week long. Two hours yesterday morning, most of my time was praying, Jesus, help them remember what it once looked like for them to be radically passionate in love with Jesus. Because let's be honest, just too many of us just kind of going through the motion. We punch our church clock, we show up once in a while if, it's, if there's not a Seahawks game at 10 o'clock against the Lions on Sunday. You know what I'm talking about? If it's, if it's convenient, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, well, you know, I can catch it later online. Too often we, we, we have drifted, I'm, do you remember? The first thing we do is remember. The second thing the scripture says is we need to repent. We need you, me, we need to have a change of mind, have the mind of Christ to, to change the way. If you change the way you think, you change the way you believe, and it changes what you do. If you change the way you think, it changes what you believe, and it changes what you do. And that, we need that change to repent. And then we, we get to, it's not have to, we get to do the things we did at first. And I believe, I believe that that's what God's calling. I believe it's what he's calling me to. I, I know it personally for me, and it's, 
a couple of you said over the last couple of months, you know, I've heard multiple times, wow, what's going on with you? I've never heard you preach with so much fire. Because God, this is what God's doing to me. It's what he's doing in me. And I believe it's what he wants to do in us, in this community. And I truly believe this community of faith is what he wants to do in the church in America. I don't think Jesus is done with the church yet. I don't believe he's done with the church in America. And I know he's not done with us yet. So where am I? All right, so the Lord spoke to my heart. Here's the thing, and I wrote it down. Here's exactly the words. As, as I read that yesterday morning, uh, here's the words I wrote down. You must change your thinking and change your practice, meaning your model, your approach, if you want to change your life and your church. Say it again. You must change your thinking and change your practice, your model, your approach, if you want to change your life and the church, your church. You know, systems, services, ministries, programs, all the stuff, it matters. They do matter. But our love for Jesus matters most. Guess where I've been hanging out an awful lot, uh, another passage besides Revelation 2, that you, some of you only hear at weddings. 1 Corinthians 13. And I've been reading it over and over. I've been reading it in different translations. It's kind of fun to take a passage and then go to you Bible and read like all of them. Even read the ones you like, don't like. Just read them all. And it's just get these different, it's like looking at a diamond from different angle, different perspective. I've been reading it over and over, just saturating my heart, my mind with, and here's what it says. You, here's, the, here's the cool part of 1 Corinthians 13. Here, you get it? You've never heard this before. Love. Love matters. It doesn't matter, you know, uh, yeah. So that's why I gotta go back to what I said. We remember, we repent, and then we do. What most of us wanna do is just do the do. And if we just do the do without remembering and without a change of heart, radically falling in love with Jesus again, then what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 is all the do is dung. Just doesn't matter. It's not gonna get, so we, we do it, what we do is because of love and out of love. So systems, programs, ministries, all those things matter, but they have to be done because of love. Here's, I, I wrote these down. I just jot them down as quick as I could. When people radically, passionately love Jesus, their entire life is impacted. Their entire life. We don't compartmentalize our, the kingdom, the church, Christianity. Our entire life is impacted. When people love Jesus, they show up for church, church around the stage and church around the table. Church around the stage, we've talked about it, and church around the table in small groups. They, sh they show up. When people love Jesus with all their heart, they worship God with, with him with all their heart. When they love him, they'll want to connect with others who love him. They'll want to be in fellowship and connection with others. When they love Jesus with all their heart, they will serve with joy. They'll serve, not because they have to, not because they feel obligated, but it's a response of love. You know, one of the things that marked those movements of God is, I heard this so often, what can I do for Jesus? What can I do for people? We used to have, this is a crazy thing, and I'm not kidding when I say this, waiting lists for people to be involved in ministries at the church. That hasn't happened in about 30 years. We have stand on stage or put it in the bulletin or beg, borrow, steal. Please, please, please do something. Please do something. We need, we need help. Please help us here. I'm not kidding. There was a time when people said, man, I'm, what? Yeah, I'll do whatever I can. Help, I'll to help. I want to be a part of it. When people love Jesus with all their heart, they give faithfully and sacrificially. In all those years, I never, I can't remember ever hearing, I never remember ever hearing Roy Jr. preach on money. Do you? Nope. A faith center. <laughs> he didn't have to. 
Because when people love Jesus, man, they just give. When people love Jesus with all their heart, they tell their friends about the love of their life. They just, you can't shut them up. They're telling everybody all over, hey, let me tell you about this guy. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus changed my life. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. They just, they're telling everybody. When Jesus, when people love Jesus with all their heart, they're both attractional and missional in their lives. And they created community faith that's both attractional and missional as well. Let me digress just for a moment. You know, it's been a lot of argument over the last 10, 15 years. Should the church be attractional? Meaning, you know, we design church services on Sunday morning to attract outsiders to come in. Or should it be missional? Should we take the church and go to the streets? And I've said this publicly, I've said it, and our staff knows this, I've said it many times. It's not either or, it's both and. But here's the deal, here's the, here's the problem. And I mean, it is a problem. We pastors and church leaders have argued over whether the church, meaning Sunday morning, should be attractional, or the church, meaning, well, Monday through Saturday, should be missional. And we've had all this debate, and we've tried this, we've tried that, and here's the deal. Here's the real McCoy, guys. When the people are radically, passionately in love with Jesus, guess what? They're attractional and they're missional. And then when they hang out with people like that, then the community of faith is attractional and missional. We've got this all backwards. We're, trying to, we're arguing about how we should do things and what it should look like and whether it's this or that when it starts right here. When you got a group of people who just are crazy in love with Jesus, then they attract people. They say, what is going on with you? And they involve themselves in the lives of their neighbors and their friends and where they work, and they're both attractional and missional. And then when you get a bunch of people like that together in a community of faith, whether it was called Faith Center or Church in a Way or the Anaheim or wherever, when you get that happening, and frankly, for years, the early years of my experience at Life Center, our mother church was that way too. If you didn't show up a half hour early for Wednesday nights at Life Center, you were, st- you were up on a balcony bending over because the stupid roof. And my, you know what I'm talking about, huh? And you had to park two miles away. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When people get this and they are radically in love with Jesus, madly in love with him, then they're both attractional and missional. And they create a community of faith that is both attractional and missional as well. It always comes back to love. So, I think for a long time, for too long, the church, and I'm gonna use Big C, the church in America, and I will use the small church, East Point, we have really forgotten and we've missed what needs to happen most. We need to radically fall in love with Jesus all over again. I mentioned a couple weeks ago in church that 2019, I am uh, gonna do a series. At this point, I, I'm, it's not really gonna be a series because I'm not gonna call it a series, uh, but it's basically 2019, we're gonna talk about love. 52 moments. God's love for us, I'm gonna talk about our love for him, and then a whole bunch. You know the Bible has a ton to say about our love for one another. I mean, there's over 50 one another passages in the scriptures, about 29, 30 unique ones, and we're gonna take 2019 and we're gonna talk about our love for God, our love for him, and our love for one another. And we're just gonna, and you know what? I, I, as I said, it might be 52 weeks, it might be 520 weeks. I'm just not gonna give up talking about this until we get it. And if you get tired before I do, then find another church. Because I'm just gonna keep on this until we get this, until it happens, because it has to. It has to. We have to get this 
Because this is what matters most, love for him. Jesus, and I, here's, I could quote Jesus, you maybe heard this before too. What's the first and greatest commandment? Say it. All I heart, mind, soul, and strength. What's the second? Yeah. So simple. And yet, can I suggest that we've drifted, the church in America has drifted, and we've made it about so many other things, and we've forgotten that. That matters most. So what's next? Well, um, let me explain some things that are important for you to understand. To begin with, uh, we're not gonna change our, where's my pens? We're not gonna change our mission. We're not gonna change our, our vision. Um, it, it is because, because it's God's mission. Let me show you something. I'm not much of an artist, but I'll show you something. Oh, that pen's dead. Um, <laughs> pretty good, huh? Impressed so far? Let's just say this represents the inland northwest, Spokane Valley, whatever you want. Conservatively, about uh, maybe on any given Sunday, 20 plus percent would say that they have a church home and that they attend church. Now, that doesn't mean they all show up. The average, even in Spokane Valley, and this is true across the United States, is about 2.2 times a month. That's terrible. And again, that's, it's, it's a heart issue. It's a love issue. It's just too many other things, too many other distractions. But let's just say 80% of our city, our county, has no viable, meaningful relationship with Jesus. They might say they're Christians. They might say that they believe in Jesus. They might say a lot of things, but there's no evidence in their life and no meaningful, viable connection uh, in their life with other Christians, other, a community of faith, and whether they're going to heaven or not is up to Jesus to determine at the end, but I would say a large percentage of them probably are not. Here's what happens all too often in um, America, and certainly in the valley, is that we've got all these churches, I'm not getting together a color because I have colors, we have all these churches. I won't use that one. We have all these churches. <clears throat> and they're in this piece of the pie. And what happens is uh, a new church gets started and, you know, there's a lot of excitement, buzz. It's a new church. And so people go there. And then people get mad at another church and they go there. And then they get upset with this guy and they go there. And then, you know, they, and we've got all this stuff going on. You get the picture here? Can you see it? Good. We have all this stuff happening within the 20%. And another phrase that's used all the time, shifting saints. I had lunch with uh, five of the largest church pastors. I do on a regular basis about uh, two weeks ago. And sit around, and we, we share usually. And I mean, the five largest churches in the valley, they're all friends. I, I know all those guys. We love, I love them dearly. They love me. Some of them I've known for a long time. Some of them are a little newer to my relationship circle. But they're guys that we spend a lot of time investing time getting to know and care for one another. And we usually say, hey, what's going on? What's God saying to you? And I started to share some of this. And I'm getting, you know, so raw, raw from these guys. You would expect that from pastors, right? Um, and then I made this statement to him. I said, you know, one, one thing I'm really getting tired of is how this happens 
way too much and how we're not reaching these people as effectively. In my, at my core, I'm an evangelist. I'm, you know, if you look at the office gifts in Ephesians 4, first and foremost, I'm an evangelist. I just care about the lost. I want to reach the lost. And I said, we're not doing this effectively. We're not reaching these people. We keep planning different churches and things happening, but we're really not reaching these people. One of the guys, and I won't mention by name, but I love him, he says, oh, well, we got lots of people coming to know Jesus in our church. And I said, okay. And I looked around the circle. I said, how many of you would say that 80% of your church growth is from unchurched or, or, or de-churched people? Got real quiet around the circle because none of us can, including me. Let me put it this way. It's math. If we are effectively reaching this, then 80% of our growth should be from this. You tracking with me? Some of you are like, what? I don't get, I'm not good at math. If we are doing Jesus, Luke 19.10. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the what? If we were if doing what Jesus said he was about and doing that effectively, then 80% of our church growth would be from those who are in the rest of the, the pie. And I don't think we're doing that effectively. Why? Well, I think it goes back to we have heart issues. It's, 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 we're not radically, passionately loving Jesus with all our hearts. Because I think when that happens, you go back historically to the first church and every great movement of God. And I will not bore you with history lessons. But to the first church and every great movement of God, the ones I mentioned and the ones that changed the world, all started with people who fell radically, passionately in love with Jesus. They repented and they, and they loved one another. And it changed their world. It changed the culture they were in. So we're not changing our mission. Our mission and our vision is still to help people find and follow Jesus. Help people find and follow Jesus. We want people here to know him and then we help them become a part of this so that they can follow. But I'm not ever gonna be satisfied when this number is where it's at right now. Never, never gonna be satisfied until I see that number change. So what do we do? Well, we do the things we did at first. We radically fall in love with Jesus. There's the renewed filter around here. It's not a new filter, but a renewed filter. Everything we do, we're measuring by this one question. Does it help people love Jesus more? Does it help people love Jesus more? And if it gets in the way of that, then we're gonna kill it. If it doesn't help them and we can do something better that helps them, then we're gonna try something new. Does it help people love Jesus more? Because that's the heart of everything. And so what are we gonna do? Well, one of the things that we're trying to change and adapt and, and you, some of you say, why don't we change our service times? I can barely make it here by 9.30. Well, then go to the 11. But, but why are we changing? Well, here's the simple answer. We changed our service times to 9.11 for one basic reason. I want some white space, some margin. I want a little bit of wiggle room so that we're not jamming services together so that if the Lord wants to do a rock thing like we did this last Sunday, that I'm not worried about time. So how many of you got to experience that this last Sunday? It's pretty cool, man. I tell you, it was, I was like, and I, I just, I, we're, we intentionally are giving some space this Sunday. You're not going to want to miss Sunday. I know you think, well, I did church this weekend. I really don't have to come Sunday, right? You're not going to want to miss it. I'm talking about uh, when hope is shattered. And we're going to do a ministry time in the service. And if I have uh, any inkling of what I think the Lord wants to do, man, there's going to be some powerful encounters for people who've had their hope shattered. We're going to give them opportunity. Now, the problem is we do it this Sunday, and it's like I already, you know, 
I know it's going to mess up adventure land because we're going to run it sometimes. So we're, we're giving space to that. But here's what we're giving space for. And here's what, you're going to hear some phrases um, more and more frequently. But you kind of have the inside track now. We want to give opportunity for a transformational encounter. I am not looking for a one-and-done experience. I am not, you know, I, I, I've been a part of churches for a while in high school, part of a Pentecostal church that was all about the experience. And relax, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the one and done, the buzz, where you go from one high to another high. What I am praying for, looking for, asking Jesus to do is we want to facilitate transformational encounters. And by the way, transformational encounters with church around the stage here on Sunday morning and church around the table and the small groups. That's our goal. Rooted is amazing. If you have not done Rooted yet, in January, when do we start it next? January something. Get in Rooted. It, it will transform your life. It's, a, it's one transformational encounter after another in Rooted. So church around the stage, church around the table, where what we want and what we're praying and asking and we're going after is transformational encounters that changes the way people think, changes their hearts and changes their lives. And so we're not looking for a one and done. We're not looking for experience. We're not trying to create some buzz. What we want is transformational encounters in people's lives. And what we're looking for, and I've used this phrase many times over the last few weeks, shamelessly stole it from John Mark Comer, who stole it from somebody else. But the be become do. Have you, met, have you heard me use that a few times now? It's our new definition of a disciple. A disciple is someone who be become do. Bees with Jesus, becomes like Jesus, does what Jesus did. It's not that difficult, but it's, it can change you. What's a disciple? What are we trying to do when we get people into church, into community of faith? We want them to be with Jesus, be with him. Be with him in the word, be with him in worship. Be with him, be in, the, in quiet times, in time in the word. Be with Jesus so that you can become more like Jesus in your character, in your nature, in your heart, in the way you think, and everything about you. You talk like him, sound like him, smell like him. You become like Jesus, and then you do what Jesus did. That's the definition of a disciple. Be, become, do. And that's what we're facilitating through those transformational encounters. We want to help people do that better. We want to do that in small groups. We want to do that in our church experience on Sunday mornings. Help them be, become, do. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. And then do what Jesus did. And we're going to do that everywhere. And do that more. And do that all the time. So how? Well, here's the truth. I don't know. I wasn't kidding. I, I have a pretty good idea of what I think Jesus wants us to do. Fall madly, radically in love with him. Help our church get there. So, but, here, but some of the hows, we're still figuring out. I will tell you a few things. One, and th these are little phrases that I felt like the Lord just has put in my heart. First is we're going to model it. They're going to see it in me. I want them to see it in you. How do we help people be, become, do? Well, we model it. How do we help people become radical, passionate lovers of Jesus? We model it. So that's the first thing. Then we're going to teach it, and we're going to teach it everywhere, and we're going to try and consistently do it throughout uh, all of our different ministries. We're going we're to keep coming back to this. I told you, 2019. In fact, the word the Lord gave me, I don't know those guys that's like, give me a word for 2019, Lord. I, I, I don't, you know, I'm, God's usually bigger than my word anyhow, but I felt like the Lord gave me this word. Here's the word for 2019, transition. We're going to transition into some things. And part of what that's going to look like is the be, become, do. Part of that's the facilitating, the transforming encounter. But we are going to, we're going to model it. We're going to teach it. 
And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach, the teaching team's gonna teach this. We're gonna, we're gonna land on this over and over again. Model it, teach it, we're gonna um, experience it. And I'm, I'm not exactly sure what, again, that's all gonna look like, but this Sunday you'll get a little bit of a taste of that when we do a ministry time here at East Point. And, but again, in Rooted, we, we begin to experience some things there that we're gonna, we wanna see more because the last it is we release it. Model it, teach it, experience it, release it. We wanna just see that happen across the board. So if that sounds somewhat vague, well, welcome to my world. I'm not really sure. Uh, I don't have all, a, a lot of gory details, but I can give you a few things. One is that uh, I'm going to be asking you, you're here tonight because you consider East Point your church home. And I look around the room and you love Jesus. Some of you have been around here for a long time. I'm gonna ask you to engage. You think, well, I'm already pretty busy. I'm gonna just engage. And I'm gonna give you some practical ways. One of them is I'm gonna ask you to be consider becoming a part of our ministry team. And we will train you in how to pray for people. And it's not something, I'm probably gonna get rid of the little prayer team badges, you know, making you come down front and stand and stare at people. That's, we're gonna figure out a better way to do that. But we have to figure out a way to help people have a transforming encounter when they do show up, a church around the stage or church around the table. You understand the phrase again, church around the stage, church around the table? Whether a small group or big, you know, big church, we, we, so we, we have to be prepared to really engage and be a part of a ministry team that's helping people and praying for them and seeing their lives. So we just come alongside them. And it's not professional people. It's not, you know, it's not about the staff. It's not about me. It's about us praying for people. So we're gonna do that. We're gonna, I'm gonna encourage you and invite you and you'll hear more about that. Uh, we'll do some training for that in the near future. And then the next thing we're gonna do, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap this up because we're gonna take some time to pray, is that uh, beginning November 1st, and uh, I just picked this date because I could. But we're gonna do something I'm calling 21 Days of Love. And I don't mean 21 Days of Love. I mean 21 days where you are asking Jesus to help you fall in love with him. And 21 days of prayer, and here's, I'm gonna use the F word, prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Now, I don't expect anybody to go without food for the entire 21 days. If you do that, you know, because Jesus tells you to, fine, but uh, that's not what I'm asking you to do. But there's a lot of ways to fast. And, uh, and I'm not even gonna define them all out for you. You ask Jesus what he wants you to give up for 21 days. It's just that simple. Now, here's a couple things I will tell you. Number one, we don't fast to get God's attention. Listen to me. We do not fast to get God's attention. We fast so that we can get uh, more attentive to him. Are you listening? We don't fast, oh God, I'm fasting because I really, 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 really want you to see me and know me and hear me. No, we fast so that we can be more attentive to God. It makes our hearts more in tune to him. When your belly's grumbling and growling, or you're hungry, or you're tired, and you get in that place where it's like, oh God, it, that draws you closer to him. So I'm gonna ask you to fast. And I, you know, somebody, well, you know, and for 21 days, you've already looked at, some of you look at your calendar, I see, oh, that's good, that's Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Um, why 21 days? I just felt like the Lord put that on my heart. 21 days of prayer and fasting. Don't do it to lose weight. And, and don't just give up, you know, well, I'll give up my favorite TV program. Come on. 
I'm asking you to, to ask Jesus. I'm not even telling you. You ask Jesus what he wants you to do for 21 days. But beginning November 1st through November 21st, which is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I, I'm asking you to pray and fast. And so whatever normally, you know, amount of time you normally spend in prayer, spend more in prayer. Whatever amount of time you normally spend in the Word, spend more in the Word. And whatever Jesus asks you to give up for those 21 days, give it up so that it will help you become more attentive to him. So that you can f focus more on him. So 21 days, and I'll, you'll hear more about that because I'll talk about it at church as well. Last thing, um, and I just need you to hear my heart on this, and I, I mean this when I say it. I don't know what it's all going to look like. I do know this. It'll be good, but it won't be easy. Change is hard for people. A lot of people are at East Point because they kind of like the way it's always been. But you know the definition of insanity, right? To always do the same thing you've always done, you, you know, and expect different results, that's insane. And, I, and I, I'm expecting different results, and so we're, we're gonna do some things differently. We're gonna have a culture shift, not a vision shift, not a mission shift, but a culture shift. And I'm asking Jesus, and we're in the process of saying, okay, God, what does that look like? What does that mean? But we are in the midst of a culture shift, and I believe with all my heart it will be good. It will be life-changing. We will be a different church a month from now, six months from now, a year from now. We will be different. Good, but probably not easy. And in that process, sadly, I know that some will probably leave. They'll think, I'm just not up for that. I don't know what he's smoking anymore, but I'm just not, not that's, I'm just... I, I want to just kind of, can I just leave me alone? I just want to put on cruise control and go be with Jesus my way. And, you know, I've, I've said this before, and I, I've said it jokingly, but I seriously mean it. Part of my job is to um, provoke you. The word, which says, you know, in Hebrews, that we're to, to, to love and encourage one another, that word encourage literally could be translated provoke. It's Come on, come on, we can do this. Let's do this. Where's your heart? You remember? Do you, can you remember? Do you remember? Will you repent? Will you do the things you did at first? And so that's this journey we're going to be on. And I wanted you to hear it from me. And I wanted you to know. And when things change and you go, well, I don't, yeah, why? You can talk to me. You can talk to us. But you need to know up front. The why is because we believe that a culture shift will lead to more transformational encounters that will help us be, become, and do more of what Jesus wants us to do. And we'll, it's all because of love. Stand with me. I'm going to ask the band to come up, guys. Come on up. Here's how we're going to finish tonight. And I, we got about 10, 12 minutes. I told you I'd get out here by 8, so we'll be pretty close to that. We're going to take and we're going to sing one more song. Why? Because I want this song to be the cry of your heart. I want this to be the cry of your heart. So we're going to worship. And then I'm going to walk us through uh, just pretty briefly what I'm what we call maybe guided prayer. I'm just going to walk you through some things that I want you to do with me tonight in prayer. I'm going to model this. We said model was part of a, the plan. I'm going to model something for you that I want you to do and to, to take away from here tonight. So let me pray for you. Jesus, as we begin uh, this journey together. In some ways, Lord, it is a new thing. In other ways, it's just a renewed thing because it's, it's remembering what we did at first. And I pray that even as we worship you right here, right now, that we would remember. 
that we would remember what you've done in our hearts, in our lives. And that that remembering, Lord, would again soften maybe our hard hearts, it would tenderize us, that you would break our hearts again, that you would, uh, for some of us, Lord, we remember that that remembering would bring hope or maybe we've been hopeless. But God, help us tonight to remember and to then repent and then to leave here willing to do whatever it takes to become what you want us to be as individuals and you want us to be as a community of faith. Do that, Lord. Do that.